Hey, you're on air with Ella, and today we're talking how to eat at a restaurant, exercise while traveling, is kale really bad for you, and some personal updates following some recent shows. Here we go. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss, to just living better and with more energy, or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella. I am so glad to be talking with you guys today. I am thrilled to pieces to be able to do a Q&A episode. I love doing interviews, but I really, really enjoy just answering your questions. I feel like I'm just hanging out with you and talking directly to you. So hey, let's hang out. You were supposed to bring the coffee. All right, today's episode is Q&A. So if this is the first time you're joining us, this is not the best place to start. Go listen to one of our longer, more in-depth interviews and come back to this one a little later. This just might not be the best place to start. Okay. Okay, our first question comes from John, who left us a voicemail at onairwithella.com. Hi, Ella. This is John, an avid listener and fan. I have two questions. My questions are for those of us like myself who spend much of their time as road warriors. First, how do you recommend we eat healthy when we're eating at restaurants and there's no way to avoid it? And second, there are so many days where I don't feel I have the time to move and to exercise. Any quick tips for us as well? Thanks. Okay, John asked two really, really good questions. And the first one is really how to dine out without sabotaging your wellness goals or your fat loss goals or whatever your goals may be, actually. And John is a road warrior. He actually said that he spends more than half of his time on the road. But this question, truly, I get from other people and really does apply to you whether you travel or not. Now, obviously, if you travel constantly, you're probably going to want to be a little bit more conscientious because you have less control over what you're eating. Eating, um, and less control over your environment than those people who don't travel as much and dining out is just a social and entertaining experience, you know, on the weekends. With that said, I think this question is relevant to everybody. So let me share some of my basic, basic strategies with you. The first thing I want to say, though, is we're social animals, all right? And we are made to enjoy food, enjoy social environments, and particularly enjoy them together. In a recent episode that I did with Georgie Fear, you heard us refer to it as entertainment, um, a term that she coined in her book, Lean Habits. Well, that's true, and there's a lot to that. So I think it's dangerous to overthink mealtime when you're in a social environment or at restaurants, I think that a lot of people can get carried away and actually detract from their experience and quite frankly, the experience of the people that they're there with. So that is absolutely not what I'm talking about today. I am just talking about how to subtly and discreetly take care of your own self and take care of your goals while you're out at a restaurant and everything looks tempting and you're more likely, frankly, to just diverge from how you might normally eat. Or if you, again, are on the road all the time, you just might want a few strategies so that you aren't sabotaging your health just because you're forced to eat out all the time. So let's keep it really, really, really basic. There are a couple things that I do that I'll share with you. They may work for you, they may not work for you, but sometimes you like to just hear what I do and it can be helpful. So let me share a few of those with you. I travel quite a bit for work. And the first thing that I do is I just create rules for myself because I find abstinence is so much easier than making decisions every single time I go out. So some of my rules, and I don't know if that sounds, does that sound like 
like dining out prison to you. I really just think of it as making a decision once instead of making a decision, like I said, every time I go out. So some of the rules that I have or habits that I have are that I just don't drink alcohol more than one token drink when I am traveling on business. So there's lots of reasons for that, but just nutritionally and wellness speaking, it keeps it real simple for me because if I have more than one drink with a meal, like the token glass of wine, then it obviously changes the food choices. I say obviously, I mean, it does for me. It changes the food choices that I sort of progressively make throughout the rest of the meal. It also has a demonstrable effect on your metabolism. It actually slows your metabolism down the more alcohol you consume and who needs it, right? Plus I'm traveling already. So my body's already under different stress and most likely dehydrated because of the travel and because I'm just out of my routine because you know just the actual literal travel contributes to dehydration. So you add that to the fact that I actually need to stay sharp and I need to wake up and feel great the next morning and just more than one drink is not a good idea. For those of us who don't have a bad relationship with alcohol but we just don't need it in excess because it's not going to help us meet our goals, I just set the rule that I order my token glass of wine or nothing. perfectly comfortable ordering nothing or ordering seltzer and letting people assume that it's a vodka tonic. I don't care, whatever. In any case, I stick to zero or one drinks. In decades of business travel, that has just always served me very, very well. And it just helps me make smarter choices at the table. Another rule that I do that's actually not hard for me at all because I'm not a huge bread fiend is I just skip the bread basket entirely. Like I don't even see it anymore. I just absolutely skip it. There's no reason to start my meal with a bunch of empty carbs, it's not going to be conducive to anything positive occurring thereafter. So I just skip the bread. Another thing that I do is I make sure that I drink a glass of water or half a glass of water before the meal, and then I don't drink any more water throughout the rest of the meal. I don't order tea or sodas or anything of that nature. So the reason I do that is because when you're eating at a restaurant, you tend to be eating heavier meals. So mixing that with a bunch of water at the meal is not a fabulous idea. So it it contributes to bloating and it dilutes your digestion and you're actually going to kind of bloat up if you're consuming your day's worth of water or excess water with your meal. So I am pretty conscientious about hydrating throughout the day and not trying to cram my, you know, three glasses of water in at mealtime. I've just found that to be a really effective strategy and it's a useful trick to keep in mind when you're at restaurants. So start with that water, get a half a glass down, get a full glass down and then lay off and maybe sip on some red wine throughout your meal. Red wine actually, some people argue, helps with digestion as does black coffee. P.S. That's a little bonus tip. Okay, so take it easy on the liquids. Skip the bread basket. This is not advice. This is just what I do. This is what's going on inside Ella's mind. The third thing I do is there are things I just totally avoid on the menu. Again, it's not a thing. It's not like I'm sitting there wrestling with some kind of willpower issue. I just, there are certain words I avoid. Those words are fried uh, as one example. Pasta, that's another word that I just skip on the menu. Again, I just don't even see it. This is not a willpower issue for me. So when I go to a restaurant, I am looking for protein, water, and fiber. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a plate that contains protein, water, and fiber. Everything from the appetizer to dinner. And I am an eater. I like my food. So I almost always have an appetizer if I'm at a dinner. And I'll have an appetizer and dinner, and then I never have room for dessert. Now, if somebody orders dessert at 
a community table, you know, if it's like a communal thing, then I'll take a couple of bites. I don't mind that in the slightest because again, it's communal. But if I ordered a dessert for me individually, there is no way I'm eating three bites and pushing that thing away. I know Jade Tita talked about that in the episode that we did together. I think it was episode 19. And he talks about how he actually spent time developing that strategy of eating three bites and pushing his dessert away. And let me just tell you, like, Way to go, Dr. Tita. That is not me. If I have a dessert in front of me, that plate is like embarrassingly clean five minutes later. So that's just not in my wheelhouse. It's not a skill I'm developing. And frankly, if I've had an appetizer and a dinner, like I don't, I absolutely truly genuinely don't want dessert. So again, in a more communal environment where everything's sort of shared or somebody orders desserts for the table, to me that's no biggie because I'll just take a couple bites and and roll on. So I really focus on appetizer and dinner. I'm skipping bread, I'm skipping dessert, and I'm focusing on appetizer and dinner. So when I say protein, water, and fiber, I'm looking for a fish for me just because I don't really do meat. And and I'm not advocating that you skip the meat by any means. It's actually totally inconvenient that I don't eat meat. But for me, protein usually is going to look like a fish. It's going to look like a fish. It's pretty much going to be a fish. And then water and fiber means veggies. So 60% at least 60% of my plate is veggies of some kind. And I just skip the heavy stuff. The more starch I put in my body, the heavier I feel, the more I bloat, the slower I move. And at restaurants, frankly, like if you're eating right, if you're eating well, everything's supposed to be delicious. So it's super easy to order three vegetables instead of the starch. I will always switch out the starch for a second veg. And then I often order a third veg that I just share with somebody else the table. You can find something that's a non-starchy vegetable and you can at least make half your plate that. So you started your meal with a protein, like maybe some tuna sashimi, or you started your meal with water and fiber, which is a salad or some kind of veg dish. And then you went into your meal and you had at least 50% of your plate be some kind of water and fiber rich veggie. So those are just some of the strategies that I employ. I am really conscious of the alcohol. I skip the bread. I skip the dessert unless it's a community table. And I look at the menu with my protein, water, and fiber glasses on. And to me, it's just a simpler way to view the world. And I never, ever feel like I'm depriving myself ever, ever, ever. And by the way, if you do, you're at the wrong restaurant. Okay. All right. Let's take John's second question because he said, you know, how do you exercise while traveling? Well, let me be really, really clear. I am pretty active when I'm in my home territory. I'm typically going to be doing exercise five days a week and movement seven days a week. So that means if I'm not doing anything, even just 20 minutes of something I would call training or exercise, then I'm still going to move my body every single day for some amount of time, even if it's just taking a 15 minute walk. That said, when I'm traveling, I mean, there are for real legit 16 and 18 hour days and you know, you're going, you just have no time to exercise at all. Like completely get that. And I am not the person that's in the gym at 4:30 in the morning, like crank it out a workout. That is, that is not me. If you're in the gym, you are not seeing me there. So I got to be honest with you when I'm traveling, It is 10 times harder to get any kind of exercise in. I completely relate to that. But, 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 I want you to rethink what your options are here. Here are a couple things that absolutely do work. 
I'll suggest three approaches. The first approach is called the feet hit the floor approach. The moment, this is approach number one and it will take three minutes out of your day. The moment your feet hit the floor, when your feet hit the floor, you stand up, you stretch up, you take a deep breath, and you drop and you do 10 push-ups, 15 push-ups, five push-ups, whatever you got. You spend one minute doing push-ups, you stand up, you do 25 jumping jacks. That is it. Nobody doesn't have time to do that. You with me? That is feet hit the floor strategy. All it does is it gets your blood moving and it gets you in your body. Do you know what I mean? So instead of making excuses about how you can't exercise or wrestling with the, can I find time to do that? Just no, just say, I'm traveling. I'm already completely maxed. Exercise is not my priority here, but I'm going to stand up, stretch, drop to the floor, do as many pushups as I can, or against the wall if you're a beginner. And then I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do 25 jumping jacks. And that's all. And I have zero excuses for not doing that. All right. And then you drink your water bottle and you go take a shower. Done. The second strategy is to just find time to walk. So if you ever have any time in between meetings or maybe you finish your day and you get back, just go walk. If you can't walk outside, then go put on a podcast and walk on the stinky treadmill that they have in the tiny little excuse for a gym, whatever you've got. Just walk, just go move your body and be ambulatory because you've most likely spent a huge amount of time sitting on an airplane or sitting in a car and then sitting in an office and then going back to the hotel and sitting in a room and just just move, just find some time to be ambulatory, just go walk. And that even if that is 10 minutes around the hotel, I promise you it will make a difference. The third option is for when you actually do have time. If you actually do have time, or you're traveling for leisure, it is so much fun to take a local class in a random place. Every once in a while, truly, I have been able to do this. I could probably count them on one hand, but I remember them so well. Go take a class that you would never take at home or you've just never taken at home, but you're in a different city and maybe your hotel offers something or maybe there's something nearby and you can just look it up on your phone very quickly and you can take a 6 a.m. yoga class somewhere or you can take a spin class or anything of that nature. It is so much fun to do something completely completely different out of your routine in a different city. So when time allows, that is a super fun thing to do, but also it's just an opportunity to do things that you would not normally do. And who knows you? Nobody. Stretch yourself and get out of your box and do something you wouldn't normally do or just, again, haven't done before. Okay, so I hope those strategies are helpful, but the one thing you cannot do when you're traveling is just say, I don't have time. Okay, our next question came in via email, and this is kind of weird, but I actually recorded my response to this question when I had a cold, and then I ended up not releasing the episode because it was just too much to bear. You just could not listen to me talking like that. But I'm gonna go ahead and share this question and its answer that I recorded before, and hopefully you can at least sit through this short amount of time with me talking like this. Here we go. Okay, now we're going to get a little bit geeky here because I received a great question from Ashley K via email and she said, is kale good or bad? I have heard that that and cruciferous veggies are not great for thyroid troubles. This is such a good question, Ashley, and there is some truth behind this and I'm gonna geek out with you just a little bit, but I'm not gonna go crazy into detail. I will link to the actual data in the show notes for those of you who are interested. 
kale and cruciferous veggies like broccoli and cauliflower, cabbage and Brussels sprouts, those can actually be hard on people who have hyperthyroidism. In fact, if you are having thyroid issues, you need to speak with a practitioner about what veggies you should eat and what veggies you should avoid until you're able to manage those conditions, those thyroid challenges. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk to the rest of the population, all right? Those of us who don't have thyroid problems but have heard that things like kale and too much broccoli and too much cauliflower can actually have deleterious effects on our health. So I'm going to quote Teresa Fung of the Harvard School of Public Health on the kale thyroid link. She says, normal reasonable amounts of eating should not be a problem. A regular person with no thyroid issues who eats several servings of cruciferous veggies a week should not have problems. It's the dose that makes the poison. If people have hyperthyroidism, or they're taking thyroid medication, then they should check with their doctor. But even in this case, reasonable amounts shouldn't be a problem. Now, if people are eating kale and cauliflower and other cruciferous veggies all day long, then it gets into the unknown territory. Now, why? Why is this even an issue? And for those of you who are like, oh, great, now kale's bad for you? No, that's not what we're saying. I'm going to quote the science here, and I will link to this so that you can read it for yourself. But here's the actual explanation. The hydrolysis of some glucosinolate found in cruciferous vegetables may yield a compound known as goitrin, which has been found to interfere with thyroid hormone synthesis. And then it goes on and on. So all that means is that when you OD on these items, it can be a little too much and can throw you out of hormonal balance and or it's super hard in your digestive system. But the goitrogenic properties of kale, for example, become dramatically lessened when it or any other cruciferous vegetable is cooked. So if you are ingesting a large amount of greens every day, and really not just cruciferous veggies, again, that's broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, collard greens, kale, turnips, bok choy, arugula, etc, etc. All these things are beautifully, beautifully healthy for you. But if like me, you're consuming a whole lot of them, then here are a couple quick tips for you. Tip number one, gently cook your food. So cook your kale before you eat it. Steam it, cook it in a skillet with a little bit of fat and just warm it up and the more deleterious effects of these vegetables become dramatically lessened when they are cooked. Number two, eat seaweed. Kale on its own does not increase the risk of thyroid problems. It's a combination of factors, including potential iodine deficiency. One of the most common causes of goiters is iodine deficiency. Again, I'm not going to get into the science behind this. Perhaps if you're interested, I can interview someone on the detail, but I will link to the detail in the show notes. But adding seaweed or another iodine-rich food to your diet may, in some cases, help you get adequate iodine, which balances the effect. So I do this. I eat nori. I eat sushi. I have nori sheets at home that I toast for a minute over the flame on my gas stove. I just toast them for like 15 seconds and I use them as a wrap for things like avocado and veggies and put a little dressing in there. So I basically make how some people make a turkey wrap. I make mine with nori sheets. Another thing I do is I buy dulse flakes and I have sea salt that has dulse flakes mixed in it and I use that as a seasoning or I just add dulse flakes to things that I'm cooking and it adds a different taste but I get a lot of seaweed and sea vegetable in my diet that way. 
Another thing that you can do, you can throw two to three Brazil nuts into your smoothie or just eat them out of the refrigerator. Brazil nuts are very, very high in selenium and selenium can support normal iodine levels, which in turn support a healthy thyroid. So a Brazil nut or two in your daily smoothie, or again, any way you wanna eat it, helps keep your selenium levels strong in many cases. Also, if any of you are concerned about skin cancer or you have that in your family or you have your own personal history, please Google selenium and or Brazil nuts and skin cancer because there's quite a bit of research about selenium helping combat skin cancer or reduce your risk of skin cancer. Okay. The last tip is to rotate your greens. I do this, although I could do a better job. I don't eat just kale every single day in my smoothie, for example. I have kale, I have spinach, um, collard greens, the big, big, big collard green leaves. Those are actually very, very mild when you put them in a smoothie, believe it or not. Just throwing a few collard green leaves into your smoothie, very, very mild. Romaine lettuce is also quite mild in a smoothie. Rotate those greens and you will cycle through many different nutrients. And by eating a variety of vegetables, you'll ensure that you don't OD on one and skip another. Okay, so those are my quick tips there. Don't get caught up in headlines like the dark side of kale. Those headlines are written to get your attention. Read the science. Like if this is something that you're actually concerned about, then Google it and read about it. There's great information out there. And when you really get down into the detail, you see that really the rule here is common sense. Okay. So I hope those tips help. Okay. You guys, I'm going to squeeze in one more question. Tanya Z asked me via email. She said, I hear some really respected people say that you shouldn't eat breakfast or at the very least it doesn't hurt you not to if you're not hungry. Then there are other very respected people who say you should definitely put something in your stomach within an hour of waking. Who to believe? Does it all boil down to your goals? I got a follow-up question from Jane L. She said, I just found your podcast and I have been powering through them. And I feel that I've heard some conflicting info on whether to have breakfast or something to eat upon waking. Don't eat it because it will mess with your cortisol. It's the perfect time to burn fat or eat within half an hour of waking. What is the correct thing to do? Now, Tonya and Jane, you guys are not going to love this answer because it's not a magic bullet answer, but it's the truth. And the truth is it depends. And what I mean is what are your goals and how do you feel? Those are the questions to be asking here. So for example, I do both. I have some days where I make bulletproof coffee or I just make a green juice and I don't eat breakfast. And the reason I do that is because that's what I feel like doing. Other days I wake up hungry. I mean, feet hit the floor and I am hungry. And even if I'm going to try and work out in the morning, I still might eat something. Why? Because I'm hungry. So what are my goals? My goals are to stay healthy, to incinerate a little bit of fat at all times because I always want to lean up, lean up, lean up, and I'm never happy. I'm just telling the truth. And another one of my goals is to not make myself crazy. So if I'm trying to stay lean, I want to be a lean, mean fighting machine, and I want to not make myself crazy, that means when I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. Now, I'm not going to eat something super, super high in carbohydrates just because it makes me hungry. So you're not going to see me eating toast and jam or cereal for breakfast. That's not happening. I will make myself a really good smoothie or I'll make myself eggs with a bunch of vegetables 
or sometimes I'm confessing to you now, I'll eat a low sugar real food bar. And I'm calling it a real food bar to make myself feel better, but the truth is it's processed food and it's a bar. Okay, whatever. But sometimes if I'm on the go and I am being super, super lazy, then I will eat that and it will tide me over till I can have something a little bit more robust. I cannot create the psychosis around I'm not allowed to eat until X hour. I do try to keep my meals within a 12 hour time frame. I've shared that with you guys on the show before, but I simply start the clock when I start the clock. And and guys, I'll be honest with you, I don't always start the clock, okay? It's really just a rule of thumb more than some dogma that I'm creating for myself every day. So let me ask you this, Jane and Tanya, are you guys hungry in the morning? What are you looking for? Can you have something with protein, water, and fiber in it? What will work for you that will make you feel good, that will get you through the rest of the day? What does your day require? I'll boil it down again to just those questions. What is your goal and how do you feel? How do you want to feel? The truth is after you actually start paying attention, you should say, okay, how did I feel? How do I want to feel? In other words, what worked? then stick with that. And you know what works for me? What works for me in this area is to not have a rule and to do what I want. When I do that, I'm meeting my own goal of not making myself crazy. So I'm sorry I don't have a definitive answer for you. Sometimes experts have to pick a lane because that is the program that they're selling or that is the book that they're writing. But for the rest of us humans who just get up and live every day, do what feels like the right thing to do and then pay attention to the result that it offered. Okay, it's back to me in real time now. So the last thing I wanna talk to you guys about, you've asked me informally and there's no question I'm gonna read on the air or anything. It's just sort of a general curiosity about things that I have said I was going to do on the show and whether or not I've done them or whether anything has changed because I've done them. And I was like, that's, I I really need to share with you guys some of the things that have transpired since I've recorded certain episodes that have really made a difference in my life. In episode 43 with Dr. V, all right, that one was on breast health. And I don't care if you are male or female, that is an episode worth listening to, episode 43. There were a couple of things that we touched on that were just mind-blowing to you guys, and I had been doing research on them, which is what made me want to bring Dr. V on the air. So it wasn't totally news to me, but it was a very good refresher, and it prompted me to do a couple of things that I wanted to share with you. So we actually talked about how your oral health has a lot to do with disease And we talked about how dangerous root canals are turning out to be, and the science is bearing that out. And I wanted to share with you, we talked about thermography in that episode. And thermography, for those of you who didn't hear it, and I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to episode 43 if you haven't. But thermography is essentially, in layman's terms, it is a heat map that is taken of a specific part of your body. It is an alternate to mammography, to a mammogram, or a a complement to mammography. And what I do is I now go get thermography once a year, and then I will do mammograms once every four or five years. That's my personal choice. I am not suggesting that you do that. But thermography actually shows you vascular activity in your breasts. It's a heat map and it shows, I'll put a picture. I'm not going to put my picture because my husband was like, I'm not okay with you putting a heat map of your boobs online. (laughs) I was 
like, but it's thermography. It's kind of like sharing an x-ray. He was like, they're your boobies. So my boobies will not be online. However, I will share with you a generic thermography picture that's already on the internet, but just so you know (laughs) that they're not my boobies. Anyway, when you get a thermography picture, it shows you a heat map. And so you can actually see where there is heat vascular activity in your breast and your breast shouldn't have vascular activity showing up. And in fact, if a tumor is growing in your breast, it first starts with vascular activity there years before there's actually a tumor there. Now, please understand something. I am not a doctor. I am literally sharing with you things that I have read. This is not science class. I am sharing with you, consider it a USA Today version of my experience with thermography. The reason I'm telling you this is because I had a root canal years ago and I went and got thermography done on my chest and on my mouth. And in my mouth, it showed a flaming hot spot, which meant that there had to be some kind of infection or something creating heat coincidentally, right where that root canal was. You have to listen to the episode to understand why this is upsetting. And then there was a slight amount of vascular activity in one of my breasts. And you can say that none of this is related and that's completely fine. I'm not asking you to uh, accept this. I'm just sharing my experience with you. Long story short, I went and got my root canal dealt with. I didn't have it taken out. I had something else done um, that cleaned it out and he confirmed that there was in fact a slight infection in there and we sealed that all back up, got it cleaned up. And in any case, I went back for thermography. It had now been another year and it was ironically just a couple months after I'd interviewed Dr. V and that vascular activity was gone. It had been months since I had the root canal taken care of. That vascular activity was gone. The heat map in my mouth was so greatly reduced. And he told me, the doctor told me it was very unlikely that it would ever go away completely just because I had had so much trauma to that part of my mouth that it probably would never go away completely, but it was drastically reduced and everything was cleaner. It was a cleaner bill of health. And I tell you that only because it made such an impression on me and I just wanted to share with you that I'm doing these things that I'm bringing to light and bringing to your attention and if none of that made sense to you here's the short version my root canal was causing me problems I went and dealt with it in an interim manner I may have to deal with it again in the future I don't know but coincidentally or not Also, some of the vascular activity that I saw on my breast that was a tiny bit of concern for alarm, not like some sort of death sentence, but just a little bit of um, a red flag, that has greatly, greatly, greatly diminished, almost completely non-existent, and I don't wear a bra. That's my story. just kidding. I do sometimes. All right. So in any case, I just like to share this stuff with you so that you know that this is real. It's not just chatter. All right. If I completely wigged you out on that, let me share something else. In episode 46, I interviewed Dr. Tom Nixon. Now he's a doctor of chiropractor. Dr. Tom Nixon was talking to us about how to tell whether a chiropractor is a quack or not. But more importantly, he was talking to us about how our nervous system affects everything in our body and our major organ functions and just all these things that I never tied back to my nervous system, quite frankly. And one of the things that we were talking about in that show was how if you have 
issues going on with your spine, which therefore affect your nervous system because it's all in there, that it can really impact your digestion. That was just one thing we talked about. We talked about how it can affect your thyroid. We talked about how it can affect migraines, etc. But what got my attention, because it's my issue, is how your nervous system and any compression in your spine and so on and so forth can affect your digestion your digestive health. And that is something that was completely new to me that I learned on the air. Well, guess what? I think I told you in that episode that Dr. Nixon was near me and we told you how to find other maximized living franchises in the United States and I think in the UK as well. And you can go back and listen to that episode for more of those details, episode 46. I'll link to that in the show notes for this episode. But I want to tell you what I did. I went to see Dr. Nixon and I went to his practice and I've been seeing other practitioners just because, you know, I'm a triathlete and I try to stay active. And so I go to different practitioners and try and find people who can keep me moving. (laughs) And in two visits, Dr. Nixon helped me more than any other practitioner has helped me in 12 years, hands down, absolutely. And one of the things that he did was he took an x-ray, which was something I was very hesitant to do because I'm not a fan of radiation and I'm definitely not a fan of unnecessary radiation. And he he's talked to us on the air about how he uses a low-dose radiation x-ray because all he needs to see is the bones. Bottom line is, I have a compressed spine, like I have a pinched nerve in my back and I had no idea it was there. And all these things that I had no idea, not all these things, but I mean, these important things that I did not know that I have, the pinched nerve makes perfect sense. But he showed me where it was and he said, this area of your spine will greatly affect digestion. Is that your issue? And I was like, heck yeah, that's my issue. So we talked about that and so on and so forth. He's been helping me out with that. So the point of my story there is there is help out there, you guys, you might not always find it through conventional paths. Like you might not find it through the same doctor you've been going to for 15 years. I would just encourage you to to dig a little deeper, honestly, and just say, you know, no, my healthcare won't pay for this, or no, this sounds a little quacky, or I don't know, acupuncture is bizarre, to give you another example. But you never know what you might learn about yourself if you turn over a few more rocks. Only in the past three years have I started going down some more unconventional routes. I don't know if it's of use for you to hear this or not and hear these stories from my personal life or not that just tell you some of the things I'm doing because of the show. I hope so, but I just want to encourage you to take your own health and your own wellness under your provision. Like consider it your responsibility. It's not anyone else's responsibility other than yours. And you're so worth digging a little deeper and asking a few more questions and maybe spending a little bit more, spending less on something else so that you can go spend a little bit more on somebody that, yeah, you might have to pay them out of pocket, but they can honestly turn things around for you. That's priceless. So. Talk to people, talk to people you know that are in your area who are getting help from someone that that seems a little bit creative to you or a little bit out of the box and just consider it. My having done so is, is making a world of difference in my own health and wellness and I just wanted to share that with you. And I, I also think it's useful for you to know that this isn't just chatter, that um, these are real life strategies that are helping me and I hope they can help you. Okay. All right, the holidays are approaching. If you are looking for gift ideas for yourself, for your wish list, or gift ideas for somebody who cares about health, wellness, or cooking, or exercising, or anything that falls in 
fitness, nutrition, or mindset, go check out the store that I created for you on airwithella.com. Just click on shop. I created a store for you that has my recommendations in it for tools that I use. And when I say tools, I mean like in the kitchen and in the home gym and that sort of thing. Also actual food products and then beauty products too. Also books. So anyway, if you're looking for gift ideas or you're looking for items for your wish list, go check it out. Don't forget that that's there. Nice way to support the show, but more importantly, I actually put a little blurb under every single item to tell you why I recommend it and who might like it. Again, that's on with Ella.com at shop. All right, the last thing I wanted to tell you, do you remember we were having a little contest between Canada and the UK and Australia for iTunes ratings and reviews? Well, first of all, nations, America is kicking your butt. And of course, I appreciate them in any nation, wherever you may be. But when you guys actually leave a rating and review in iTunes, that one factor has a huge impact and they feature the show in their recommended shows. So you're making a material difference when you spend those two and a half minutes leaving a rating and review on iTunes. But there's a contest going between those three nations and the UK is dominating. It has more than double the reviews that Canada does and even more than that, Australia. Come on, Australia, you're better than that. All right, guys, that's it. Send me your questions. You can send me an email at contact at onairwithella.com. You can contact me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. You can leave me a voicemail like John did at onairwithella.com. It's super easy. Just click on record a message. That's it. I love you guys. See you later. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com, where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.